Hey Faith Church, I'm Claire Kingsley and it's go time. We're releasing five podcasts prior to our 2021 Global Outreach Conference. The purpose of our Go Time podcast series is to meet the missionaries and hear what they're up to. They will also share a few ways you can be partnering with them in prayer. I strongly encourage you to take the time to pray for each missionary as the episode ends. We're purposefully rolling out these episodes before Go Time so you can catch up with them before you see them at an event or hear from them during their seminar. Today's episode features our missionary, Ruth Hubbard. Ruth has been a part of our Faith Missions family for the last 20 years. She spent 14 of those years partnered with Woodcliffe Bible Translation. In the last six years, she's been on staff with InterVarsity. As you listen to the podcast, I hope that Ruth's passion and enthusiasm for the younger generations comes through, and you are encouraged by her message of hope for the future church. Ruth's hybrid seminar is Sunday, September 26th at 6.30 p.m. Here's my conversation with Ruth Hubbard. Hi, Ruth. Good morning. Hello, Claire. Good to meet you. Good to see you. Um, thank you so much for carving out t- time and your busy schedule to record our Go Time podcast. Yeah, to- um, totally my pleasure. I love to hang around with Faith Church folks. So, yeah, we're glad to have you with us this year. I know I've heard lots of people. Um, just like be really enthusiastic and excited about having you come back for a little bit of time this fall. So Ruth, for somebody who maybe has not met you, it's been a while since you've been back at Faith. You were really involved at Faith, being a children's ministry director long ago. And now you've been doing quite a variety of other roles, even before your current Urbana role. So um, for somebody who doesn't know you very well, or someone who's never met you, tell us just about you, Ruth, um, you know, peeling back the layers of everything that you do and everything you're involved in and your ministry. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, from a family perspective, which is uh, one of the ways that our identity uh, is understood, I am single and have been my whole life. I don't have any children. I'm also an only child. I have no siblings. And so some of you will think, ah, oh, this explains so many things about you. Um, it's interesting. I, I just realized recently that my four years on staff at Faith aligned most with the four years that I helped my dad care for my mom before her death in the year 2000. And so there's a, I have a really strong connection in part at Faith because of the way that the community there cared for me and my dad in, in those years. And then my five years on staff with InterVarsity have aligned with the years that I've been caring for my dad. He's lived with me for almost 20 but it's been in these years that his health and and capacity has declined significantly. Um, And and just at Christmas time this last year has moved to skilled nursing facility, but I've been his primary caregiver uh, during that period of time and I've gained a few skills I never knew I needed. So so there's that family thing, that's a piece of it. The other one I'd I'd probably say, these are um, important if you really wanna know me, but totally ridiculous. Um, I collect rocks. I'm a little fanatical about my rock collecting. I don't apologize at all for carrying rocks in suitcases and pockets and all those things. Uh, I love a nap in a hammock. In fact, I own two hammocks. Uh, One is hung in my basement permanently and the other one for outside. Mm -hmm. I I enjoy cooking a lot, but I would rather never bake again. I mean, I like the British baking show, but baking is so irritating to me. Right now, audiobooks are my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, and it's fiction in the audiobook space. And so uh, that, that's a part of uh, the, the kind of around the edges thing. I actually like to cook and listen to audiobooks at the same time. I'd hold rocks in my pockets, but that starts getting weird. Um, and then and the last thing I'd say is I will wear multiple layers of clothing in order to be able to drive with my top down on the convertible um, when it's too cold out to have the top down. Cause I love fresh air and sunshine. And also the season convertible season in Wisconsin is very limited. So it, it you've is got to short for most. So this is right. So Ruth, could you give us some, an introduction about your ministry, your general focus, what you're doing day in and day out and where you're located? Uh, sure. So I serve with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, I am the a vice president and my leadership is over the Urbana Student Missions Conference, a conference that we host uh, every three years. 
uh, live in Madison, Wisconsin. That's where our National Service Center is. And I've been in this role for five years. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit more about Urbana since that's your focus? Yeah. So uh, after 14 years serving with Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, partnership and ministry with people like y'all, uh, the Faith Church family, God invited me to join this team of InterVarsity and, and to be a part of Urbana. But I'd been at Urbana's in 87 and 2000 and then led a Wycliffe team there three times. And so I was a little bit of an Urbana groupie. Uh, it's a conference of thousands that it, it's run between 10 and 20,000 people uh, at any given conference who come together for about a week between Christmas and New Year's uh, and seek to hear from God what how he would invite them into his mission in the world to bring all things back into alignment with what his intended purpose was for us as as our creator um and so i love i love this um the opportunity that that i have to be a part of uh informing and inspiring and inviting predominantly young adults uh those in in university as undergrad and graduate students uh to think about and ultimately surrender their entire lives to what god is doing in the world mm -hmm. So can you tell us what is God doing in the world through the lens of your ministry right now of young adults, college age kids, and um, missions? Yeah, so if we go back all the way to the beginning of Urbana, 1940s, uh, God has used Urbana to mobilize young adults into, into mission. And uh, uh, we estimate that Urbana has had the opportunity to touch the lives of more than 300,000 students um, inspiring them with the stories of what God is doing in the world through his church. At Urbana 18, so the most recent Urbana, 10,000 participants. Uh, some people might be surprised to hear that more than 2,000 of our students, participants at the conference, uh, made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Uh, they recognized that they weren't Christ followers and wanted to make that decision. Uh, almost 2,500 who said, uh, I'm committed to taking a Bible study back to my campus and study scripture with someone who's not a follower of Jesus as a way to be a, a witness to them. We had almost 6,000 who made a commitment to pray, intercede for the global church. Um, more than 5,000 made what uh, in, the, in my day we would have said was a lordship decision. We invited them to say, are, are there aspects of your life that, that are keeping you from participating fully with God and would you give those things over to God? And, and, and they did that. So a number of different commitments were made, including ones for short and mid and long-term mission service that ran um, probably 4,000. So almost 40% of the people who were at Urbana made uh, some kind of a commitment to serve uh, in, in some cross-cultural ministry. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Uh, so I have had the privilege of being one of those 300,000 uh, that have been reached through the Urbana conference I attended when I was in college. I really wish I would have found a journal from that period of time before we even are talking now this morning, just to see what God was doing in my heart, because I can think back to what I remember about that experience. I remember certain teachers, certain seminars. I remember we were studying um, the gospel of John. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember the parables that we were reading. So anyways, it was a very impactful conference and definitely uh, transformed my relationship with Christ. So to think that that's happening with thousands and thousands of students, it's just so exciting the reach that in the impact that your ministry has. Claire, your story is one that I hear all the time. It's, it's one of those um, bonuses or benefits of being in my role is people find out what I do and they go, oh, I was at Urbana and it often starts, my Urbana was, and they, they'll give it a year, but it's a very similar story. There's a, a guy on staff with university right now, his name's Alex, he's at Northwestern University. Uh, up in the Chicago area. And about a year ago, he shared this 
you know, a, this similar story about his little brother, Ellis, who was at that time a junior at Western Michigan University. So Ellis came to Urbana 2018, and the reason he could come is that there were people who had given scholarship gifts to help supplement the cost. There's between the registration and housing and transportation. So the cost of Urbana. And, and so Ellis and a number of other students from Western Michigan um, came and Alex describes that it was a rough time in his brother's life. And it was at Urbana where he made a decision to follow Jesus and to get involved in ministry on campus to be a part of what was going on there. And that since that time, his brother has actually now stepped into leading a Bible study back on campus and building community within the African-American student population on his campus. And because of COVID things uh, and our, our willingness that kind of came out of a dire need to do things on Zoom with a virtual way, uh, it's actually a ministry that's beginning to impact students across the country with things. And so, you know, over and again, it's that somebody, somebody took an action that resulted in someone else being able to do something, maybe come to Urbana. Uh, they came, God did work, they stepped into obedience. That it, so there's this ripple effect that, yeah. that has happened uh, time and time and time again. Uh, because our, our primary invitation, whether we extend it this way or not, but when I, when I pray for the people who are coming to Urbana, um, we, we, we will obviously sometimes pray, you know, God, would you allow people to respond to this invitation and that invitation, and it's very specific. But my heart's desire is that literally thousands of people, students, graduates, faculty members, university staff folks, missionaries who come to work at a booth in the exhibit hall, but that thousands of people will find themselves once again uh, before the Lord saying, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I am completely yours. I, I'm, I'm ready to go. Yes. Yes to whatever you want for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so Ruth, it's been about a decade almost since I attended Urbana, which um, the Urbana is happening every three years. So not many Urbanas have passed, especially being off last year, right? Um, but maybe how has it changed or how has it needed to change based on what's happening on our college campuses? Um, what is different about students now that has made prompted change in your ministry and what does the future look like for campus ministries in general and urbana yeah so part of what i love is that there is a core of what urbana is that we have been from the beginning and that we still are we we come together our focus is to bring students closer in their relationships with god with his word with his people, the church around the world, uh, and, and with his purposes, which have not changed. None of that has changed. It's not going to change. Absolutely solid there. And so there's the, there is a stability. And so the things that change are about methodologies and which things are we talking, which, which, which ways that the gospel finds expression in the world are we talking about right now, but not of whether we're going to talk about the the gospel and so in a time where there's a heightened awareness of um, poverty sometimes we'll talk we'll have stories about poverty more of them in any given urbana than we might at some other time and so we pay attention to what's happening in the world what's in the news what are students caring deeply about uh, and, and it's not a matter of saying, oh, students love this, so that's all we're going to talk about Urbana, but we do want to pay attention. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What, what holy discontent is he churning up in a young generation's heart and mind collectively that they're going to respond to that we can come alongside and say, oh, oh, we can help you do it. And then, and then there's the other side of it, which is the I'll sometimes talk about it as Urbana's prophetic responsibility, which is to say, 
your generation's not paying a lot of attention to this aspect of the gospel and you must or you're talking you or or you're sharing a gospel that's incomplete mm -hmm. and so uh when uh, there are times when when we'll talk about the proclaimed gospel the the evangelism experiences and uh, to a generation that has pulled away from that and it's not just a matter of saying you should evangelize more you've got to go out and share the gospel more but to train and equip people to do that in a way that for many of them addresses the issues that they have with a proclaimed gospel for example an offensiveness to it that is not about the kind of offensiveness that jesus described i mean jesus says people are going to be offended by the gospel yes there's that but that doesn't mean we have to be offensive in the ways that we share the gospel it's like we we can share the gospel in ways that are very engaging and i love watching our um our, our teams in InterVarsity figured that out. So uh, one of the things that's been happening more and more on campus uh, is the use of proxy stations. So it's a, it's a terminology we get to use uh, and start thinking everybody knows what we mean when we say that. But, but essentially, it can, it can be a set of four images, panels, uh, posters in some ways, but they're bigger. Uh, with engaging image and some content on it in writing that draw people in by the image and then it starts a spiritual conversation and it there's one of them that, that's a few years old that uses the solo red solo cups uh, as an image and if anybody's been on campus in the last 15 20 years you know that's associated generally with drinking Mm -hmm. it's, it's the party cup. Everybody's like the red solo cup. Everybody knows red solo cup. Oh, there's probably beer involved or something. It, it, mm -hmm. It's just yeah. an image that's common on campus. And, and so the question comes is what are you, what is your, ultimately, what are you really thirsty for? And, and it leads into a spiritual conversation that allows someone to say, would you be interested in studying scripture? Would you be interested in a thing? And they'll they'll set up these stations during the new student new student orientation time. Right right now is when those these things are happening across yeah. campus. Yeah. So so here's a here's a change. They're um, they've used these really engaging, beautiful stations, and there's a bunch of different ones that have been developed. And there's artsy ones, and there's provocative ones. There's one that deals with race. There's you know racism and issues there, so they're generally issues that are interesting. And last year there was a, a a staffer who said they tried all different ones on campus and they couldn't get anybody to talk to them. Like nobody wanted to have conversation. This was had to have been two years ago because they were coming back in mass on campus, so couldn't get anybody to talk to them. So they finally took a big sharpie marker out and on a piece of paper or cardboard or whatever you know back of a poster board on something, uh, they wrote um tell me why church sucks now that that's like going that like that should have made the hair on the back of some people's neck go up a little bit uh hearing that and and they held the sign up and all of a sudden they had a constant stream of students coming to them and they said what was amazing is some students came up and said man i you know i i grew up in the church and i love the church and they began to have a conversation with them. And there were other ones that came up and they said, I grew up in the church and the church rejected everything about me and my friends. Or I saw the hypocrisy of the church. Or I, and, the, and the majority of the criticism that they shared was legitimate criticism. Mm -hmm. And so it gave people an opportunity to go, yeah, I hate that too. You know, it's like going, yep, hey, that that's not Jesus. Like that's so one the the person who telling the story, they had one person that came up to them who was an avowed atheist, but had had been in the church a little bit when they were younger, avowed atheist, uh, angry with the church, the whole thing. And they finally said, Would you, do you want to have a Bible study with me? Like, could would you study scripture with me? Okay, can I bring a couple friends? Sure. And so started a Bible study with a small group of, of atheists who really don't like the church, but they were willing to study scripture. And, and you and I know that, that I, I kind of, I want people to love the church of Jesus, but I, I'm okay if they reject the parts of the church that are not of Jesus. 
-hmm. And we have to find a way to have those conversations. And so a lot of the changes are in the kinds of conversations we're having, but the ultimate goal of them is to say, I want you to meet Jesus. I want your life to be transformed by Jesus, that, that you would know you are deeply loved, that you are a person who has purpose in the world, uh, to, to become part of a witnessing community uh, where you can flourish and thrive and be all that you were intended to be. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ruth. I imagine not all of your days are filled with these encouraging stories, but also what a privilege it is in your job to be able to be a funnel of receiving all of these stories and hearing what God is doing across campuses. Mm-hmm. And I really love you sharing that with us so we can be praying. Um, you know, I was that student who was engaged by um campus ministry on the days of orientation. And that is happening now is something you said. And so as I hear you share this story, I am even reminded to be praying for those students right now in the next few weeks, over the next few weeks across the country who are returning to campuses, possibly for the first time in a year because they weren't there last year much. Um, And so what an opportunity there is. Yeah. So, you know, we, we know that the students who are hitting campus right now as freshmen and sophomores, as you said, many of those sophomores, they've not been on campus before. They've certainly not been on campus where there was as many possibilities for interaction. Mm-hmm. There's still unknowns about what's happening on campus in this semester, but those students that are coming on campus right now and are and are both being bombarded by multiple opportunities that's probably a little overwhelming because they haven't had so many choices for a long time, but who are also super hungry for relationship. They really want community. Um, That's the mass of students who are going to be at Urbana uh, Urbana 22. Uh, We we always have far more freshmen, sophomores than we do junior, seniors, um, by the, uh, just because we do. And so I'm very aware that what's happening on campus right now is critical uh, to what will eventually happen at Urbana in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's a, a way we can be praying for you. And we'll get to talk more about some prayer um, points also by the end of our podcast too. Um, so you also had mentioned that um, each generation has something that they care deeply about. They're so passionate about. They're rallying around this cause. And often we hear too much about the downfalls of a generation. So what's exciting about this new, this younger generation, Gen Z or younger, what are they rallying around? And then um, what do they add to the global church? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little loony. I love, I love a student generation. It's probably why this role is a really good one for me. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating to watch the way uh, each generation emerges with unique uh, values and perspectives that often come from the world that they're born and raised in. So the the world events, the, the, the things that happen in the world as they're very young influence them. And this is a generation that's had some pretty hard things uh, early on, and they're going to be marked by it forever. Um, so, so we've got a, a coaching team uh, inside InterVarsity. They do a lot of coaching with both students and young staff, and they've been paying attention for the last 18 months. So they've read all the Barner research, and they don't wholeheartedly accept or reject any of it. They did, they read it and let that inform them. They've read the Pew stuff that's coming out. But in their experience, what they've noticed that's different between the, um, the millennial generation and, on campus and the iGen or Gen Z, depends on how you want to use labels, uh, the millennials seemed to be more empowered by being asked for input. So it'd be... Uh, a staff worker with a group of millennial students and saying, how do you think we should do evangelism on campus? How do you think we should solve world hunger, right? So it's, it's inviting them in to be a, let's solve it together, as well as being given significant freedom to do the thing they want to try, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like on here, here's resources, go do the thing how you want to do it. That, that that was very empowering to millennials. What they're experiencing from this, now emerging and all on campus, and even we have some on staff, 
generation, so this Gen Z uh, iGen, they seem to be more empowered by being led and shown how to be successful. There's a sense in which they've said, if you set them in a room and say, hey, how do you think we should solve world hunger? They kind of look at the adults in the room and go, you guys are like in charge of that, shouldn't you know? Don't you know, like help us know what to do with the thing. And so as we're thinking about uh, seminars at Urbana, as we're thinking about a variety of things, it gives opportunity for a, a different kind of coaching, a different kind of teaching. Not that we're gonna turn everything to talking heads that just tell everybody what to do all the time, because that's not necessarily a good training methodology, uh, but, but to be able to bring people into a place and say, um, as you come into this work, the work of the church, as you join a, a nonprofit somewhere, part of the structure that's set up is that there are people who will go before you, who they're gonna share with you what they've figured out so that you can be successful quicker. Um, that, those, that kind of methodology is more effective. So love that about, uh, about the generation. The other thing is, so we just, um, InterVarsity just did a survey of InterVarsity students and among the things that they heard, that we heard in that survey, uh, they, we asked students to do a ranking of the social issues that they care about. So it's, you know, what, what matters to you? Which things are on your mind? Which things do you say, if I could only fix one or two things in my lifetime, what, what do we want to solve? What do we yeah. care about? And I, I look at this list and I think, to, I start out and ask myself, what is it that God wants to do to bring things back to, what is God's design, his intent for the world? And how do these things align with that? That's like going, look, they, they want what God wants. They, they want what scripture tells us is true. So uh, I don't think folks are gonna be surprised. So number one social issue they wanna fix is racial justice. Sure. They, they want a world in which human beings whatever their ethnic or racial background might be are treated with the same dignity as bearers of the image of god that there are not privileges or penalties because of your ethnicity mm -hmm. and i think that that's the world that god created that was his intent mm -hmm. uh, okay i'm with them yeah. the second one on their list uh, is they're concerned about the way that we have mistreated the created world. That that they they're they're looking at things and they're thinking that I mean I, I'm 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 watching the weather and it's the weirdest weather for the last few years. It's like we've got more things on fire. We've got weirder hurricane patterns. The I'm, I'm watching a friend who lives in a guy that's on my team. He lives in Spokane, Washington, and it's been in the nineties and hundreds for weeks in Spokane. And I'm thinking that's just not normal. <laughs> that's not Pacific Northwest weather. What's up? And they're concerned about the ways that we have, we have misused the creation that God uh, has given to us. And they, they want to fix that. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the third one is an area of, foster care, adoption, orphan care. It's kind of a, a clump together. And I realize this generation has grown up in an environment where there's been more adoption and it's been open. So I grew up in an era where there was probably quite a few of my friends who'd been adopted, but it's like we thought it was a secret. Like you, you know, you didn't tell people, and now it's like going, oh yeah, I was, I was adopted. My brother was adopted. My sister wasn't. She's my birth child. We talk in terms. We've destigmatized adoption, mm -hmm. and then the church has intentionally stepped up, and in places in the world where there are lots, it, it seems, an abundance of orphans because of a variety of things in the in the local spaces, whether it's economic or political and have adopted children from all over the world. And so we've got a generation who's grown up in that reality and they care about it. It matters to, so, you know, we do there. Number four, the reduct, they wanna reduce the number of abortions. Uh, five, they, they, they care that people have the ability to worship 
with, with a sense of freedom, wherever they are in the world, that people could worship God, however they define God. So there is that sense of tolerance, but they really do want people to have religious freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, and so anyway, the, the, that goes there. So global poverty and poverty in the US and economic things, those things make the list, but they're seven, nine, and 10. Oh, okay. It, it's all part of what God's doing in the world. It's all part yeah. of what God wants to do. And it's, yeah. and I, I look at that and I go, I can't wait to see the ways that they find solutions to these things. That is the same thought I had. None of those are, um, it, there's probably no right answer, right? All of those are important. They all, God cares about all of those things, but those are things that I am excited to see what that generation can do in another 20 or 30 or 40 years. Yeah. That's yeah. So, so, cool. so we've got, um, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. It's a, it's an Urbana story, but it, it connects. So um, a millennial. So we've got the entrepreneurial get out there and fix the thing person who uh, it, this story is about her. And yet I realize here's her story. And then I watch this next generation who can come behind and look at it and go, how do we how do we replicate that? Because she's figured out a thing. How do we now use that and take it to scale in more? Because right now this person is focused in one part of the world. How do we take that to another? And I think that that's part of the way that God works. It's like, I'm going to send out entrepreneurs. We're going to have that. And then the next generation is not going to be as much that because they, they need to actually sustain and, and build work. So, um, so this is uh, a, a young woman, her name is Heather Beam. And she was part of the business track at Urbana 15. Before she came to Urbana, she'd taken her PhD from MIT in mechanical engineering. And she'd launched, in her, in her words, kind of took some baby steps toward launching a nonprofit, an, an NGO, a non-government organization. So she comes to Urbana, she's in the business track, and the Holy Spirit invites her to take a huge leap of faith and move to Ghana. Like, like do, go, go and do this thing. And let's, let's take this idea, uh, let's take this, what you've done, what you've done your research on, and let's go do the thing. So three years later, she wrote to somebody who has, had been part of the business track, and she said she moved to Ghana, uh, she'd been there. She'd at that point hired three local staff. And in those just short years that she'd been there, they were pretty sure they'd impacted about half a million students in Ghana with their, with their thing that they had. So I, I was reminded of this story. So I hopped on their website to go, I wonder how things are going. It's been a few more years. And I started counting her team and it's like, there's 14 full-time staff and six, volunteers and interns and there's a board of directors and there's a like it just goes on and everyone except the founder are all Ghanaian so it's all local and I'm looking at the credentials of the people that are on our staff and they've got advanced degrees and all the right kinds of thing and I'm just going this is really cool so then I go okay wait a minute what is, what do they do again because I you know it's like what what is it they do so the name of the organization is practical education network pretty simple name. Mm -hmm. They improve learning outcomes by building teacher capacity. They go, how can we increase the capacity of teachers and particularly in the STEM world? So that the, they do a teacher training program. It's infused with MIT style, learn by doing hands-on science. But, but what they've committed to is to build all of their curriculum using low cost, locally available materials. So you don't have to order kits from somewhere in Europe or some other place that cost you money. Nobody has the budget for it. I watched some video because then I, you know, I lost like half a day because I got so excited. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I love this story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're, you're looking at things and they're using locally grown uh, fruits or vegetables for a, one experiment. And it, I look and I go, there, there's nothing fancy on that table. You could buy all those things at a local hardware convenience store like store or in your garden or you've got it in your house. And yet they create these hands-on learning things and their, their results are astonishing. So a, a school that implements this program 
of, of training for their teachers in the sciences will see an I was high 80s, low 90s percent increase in the student understanding of sciences. I mean, it's, I look at it and I go, this is off the charts crazy good. Yeah. So again, it, it's someone, yes, there was a little bit of a nudge. The Holy Spirit used Urbana to take a leap of faith, but there's a whole lot of things before and a whole lot of things after that have contributed. And then I look and I say, and how beautiful let's now watch this next generation come along and go, uh, we need more than, we need scientists from all over the world addressing this issue of the way we've cared for creation. And the best way to, we've got to raise up scientists. And the best way to do that is let's raise up great teachers and let's create a space where people can learn with the materials that they have available and the context that they are. So it doesn't, again, it's a little bit like the, when we've taken the proclaimed gospel into places, but we wrap it in a Western culture, it feels like it's a foreign faith. We've often taken science wrapped in a Western culture. It's like, that's, we don't need to wrap it in, in culture. Let's, let's, let's let it be authentic to where it is. It's still yeah. science. It's still the truth of the creator emerging out of the, those who are studying it. And so I, I love seeing the ways that, um, as I, I often I'll, I'll say, and I always hope people hear the sarcasm in my voice when I say it, it's as if there was a designer who was putting all these things together and actually had a plan. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I love the way that your story connects all those pieces of what this generation cares about, what's gone before, and what our future is and what our needs are. So thank you for showing us that big mm -hmm. picture. Um, Ruth, I just feel like your enthusiasm for young people, it's so contagious. Um, I really appreciate this. And I hope that as people are listening to you talk, they also are getting excited about the next generation. And then um, just are you're developing this like care and sincerity for a generation that I think maybe gets a bad rep sometimes. So it prompts us to be able to probably pray more intentionally for our students. And hopefully it's an encouragement to if someone is a parent or a grandparent of somebody um, a, to a student as well, that they can pray more intentionally and care more intentionally for them. So Ruth, let's shift our podcast to um, your support team. So okay. all of the work that you're doing, everything you've shared, all these wonderful stories, they, um, you need support to be able to do these things. And support looks like a lot of different things. It can look like prayer support, receiving updates, encouragement, even just like you receiving an encouraging email from somebody who's, you know, on your team or um, also financial support. And so can you give us an idea of what are your current support needs? Um, we'll talk through your prayer point needs, how somebody could possibly join your team and get updates and then your financial needs as well. So as they're listening to this podcast, they might be prompted and desire to join your team because the things that God is doing through your ministry is just exciting. You can't stand to not be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, this is not a Sunday school answer. I've, I know more than I've ever known before. The most critical need uh, for me is that people would be faithful in praying. Mm -hmm. this, this is crazy. I, this is the best gig I've ever had. I love what I'm doing. Uh, there are ways in which I can see that, um, that who I am and who God's designed me to be is getting utilized well. You know, I mean, like all that stuff. I get to do things that I love to do. I also have to do some stuff that it just drives me crazy. Sometimes I get spreadsheets going and I want to pull my hair out. So, so you know, it's that. Yeah. But I've never done any work that had more, um, that was harder in a, at a spiritual level. And that um, I, I'm not one, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a expression of faith that talked a lot about spiritual warfare. Uh, I often thought that people, you know, were like going, oh yeah, the devil's attacking the copy machine because it won't copy. And I'd roll my eyes and think, oh my gosh, stop it. The devil doesn't care about the copy machine. You know, I mean, I, I've kind of been in that space and I've, I have watched what it is and that it, 
anytime our team begins to make hard, good decisions in the places where we begin to um, hone in on what we're going to do in the, I mean, there, there are places along the way where we, we experience some of the weirdest kind of attacks mm. uh, that, that are there. And a lot of it is in the areas of, um, we, we begin a, a team of people who work well together and connect well and have a high level of trust. And suddenly we recognize we we're missing each other in our conversations and we're getting really frustrated with each other and we're finding ourselves getting suspicious of other people's motivations and it's like oh my goodness the chaos monster has come back again we we've named like there's this chaos monster that that i believe that part of the place of spiritual warfare is to create chaos in our relationships mm -hmm. so that we can't do the work and and we experience that or the the things that may have held us at times in our life that we thought we'd walked past that we'd gotten over sometimes it's the lies that we believed at other times in their life they come back as voices saying you know you're not enough you're you, if anybody knew this thing that you did when you were 22 years old they'd kick you out of this you know and any and fear comes up so um there's 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 things like that that happen i i I won't tell the whole, I won't tell the story now, it's long, um, but but right before the last Urbana, I began to have these recurring nightmares that were just weird. And you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I, I'm under stress. You know, we like, everything's like, I'm under stress. It's like, everybody's under stress, okay, yeah. And, and went and sought prayer ministry from some of our intercessors in the movement. And they were like going, yeah, no, this is a spiritual attack and we're gonna, we're going to pray for that that you will find that you're going to be released from it that that it's mm -hmm. going to be over and and I, I trust them and so we we prayed through quite a, a long process and co had conversation around things and whatnot and we got to the end of it and i was like okay you know it wasn't like there was some light came on us when yeah. i mean i was i was exhausted and you know and i was like this is great and they said okay so here's the two things let us know like we're going to be interested to know what goes on with the dream thing like is that we think that's over we believe that that, that you've been released from that um but uh you must pull a, a team an inner core team of intercessors around you uh that will commit to praying for you for the next period of time well that was one year before urban 18 when all that happened it was in december um i I sent a, a request out to a group of people and I've had uh, 15, as many as 17 people, many of them from Faith Church, um, who have committed to pray for me very regularly and through that Urbana cycle. Uh, and they did, and then they stuck with me and they're still with me. So mm -hmm. this is a group of people who, um, they, they know things, because uh, they, they says i told them i says you're going to get the whole unfiltered version like you're going to get the junk where i go i'm thinking about resigning i'm probably really not going to but i hate all of it you know like they just get the totally unfiltered version because i need i desperately need people to stand with me in prayer and to hold me accountable mm -hmm. to a, a life that i've said this is the life that i want to live this is who i want to be so prayer yeah. is huge yeah finances um I'm in a really unique position uh, in the missions community, um, partly because of the role that I have, partly because of the compensation model used by university. So my monthly salary is steady. Okay. I get the same check every month, no matter how much money comes in or doesn't come in. Um, that's not the world I lived in prior. Uh, and as the director of the conference, I'm responsible for a multi-million dollar multi-year conference budget. And that budget includes my salary and the salaries of all the staff, some who work the whole cycle, some who come in and work for 18 months or 12 months or whatever. So all different things. And people that come in and work shorter stints, uh, we don't have time to hire them to do a lot of fundraising. So we budget to pay them and then ask them to do a little bit. And, and many of the people on my team are not in typical ministry roles. And so, and, and they come out of business experience. So my operations director uh, was 
in specific roles in the hotel industry in um, working at resort facilities, those kinds of, he brings huge expertise, but, but a, a smaller ministry partnership team. So mm -hmm. that's the reality of, of the team and the whole thing I do. So I raise up funds that, that are given into this giant pot that's the Urbana budget that's part of the way my salary comes, but, but all my salary comes out of the fundraising that has to happen. And I hold some responsibility. Now I don't do any of it alone. There are teams of people that are a part of it. it you know, it's not like I have to go out there and raise all this money myself, but it, it means that um, there is a different kind of stability in it. So the Urbana staff as a whole, over the course of what this time is gonna be a four year cycle, uh, our our whole salaries together combined is four hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and we we raise up some of that through ministry partnership development, but a significant part of that comes through the fundraising that's just part of uh, the the fundraising that we do for the Urbana Conference itself. So I've made a commitment uh, to raise up through ministry partnership development half of my salary and benefit package. So take salary benefit, take the chunk, half of that through ministry partnership. And if I use that 50% marker as the goal and my monthly average of income for the last year, July through June, I'm $1,750 a month uh, short right now. Okay. So, so it's a weird thing because it's, it, it's not the like, I'm, I'm not buying eggs and I can't get new shoes. Uh, it's that every dollar that doesn't come in through ministry partnership has to be raised somewhere else. And we don't increase the amount we raise necessarily. Uh, we just have to manage it inside the budget. And so there are things we don't do in ministry. There's work that can't happen for the Urbana conference if all of the money has to go into salaries, if that makes sense. Yep, so it's like sense. the more yep. that the team can raise up, the, the more we have to actually spend on student ministry. And that's that's the place that that we live in a, a weird manner. Yes. And you're taking the responsibility to raise a certain portion of that. Right. Um, right. And, I, and I would love, partners. I mean, yeah. frankly, I would love to raise my whole salary. I'd like to raise the salary of my core team um, so that that's off their shoulders and they can just get their work done. Um, but we all have things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. So none of us can just raise funds full time. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth, for giving us that big picture. And that makes sense um, to me. It hopefully makes sense to our listeners of how they can practically partner with you, um, both in meeting your prayer needs and um, joining your financial support team. So what would you like to say if you could meet a new supporter, someone who wants to join their your team? What would you want to say to them? in response. So you've already heard some of the things. I mean, I, some of what I want people to understand is that, that Urbana mobilizes young adults into God's global mission, that, that we design a conference uh, that helps people see who they are, who God intends them to be, and what God is inviting them into, which is what he's doing in the world, so that they'd be whole life, whole world disciples. So there's that thing that we give ourselves over to. Um, I, I would also say that um, it, to know about me, um, there is often this little annoying voice that flits around like a little mosquito inside my head that tells me I'm an, an imposter in this role, that I'm not enough. Um, you know, all, all those kinds of things. My, my life is, can be a hot mess some days, but, but I know this. Um, I know that God created me and called me into this work at this time for his glory. I, I know that. Um, I know that this role uses skills and experiences that I've gained through all the twists and turns of, of life. Mm -hmm. There are things that I learned when I was the director of children's ministry at Faith that, that I get applied here. Uh, there were ways in which I learned to say yes 
when I was a teacher at Heritage in on the north side of Indianapolis. There are things that I learned as a graphic designer and then as I moved up into leadership at Wycliffe and, and became a senior vice president there and had to learn how to live in a different way and work in a different way and deal with different levels of responsibility and all those things. There, there are things that I've learned from ministry partners on short-term trips with Faith Church and on vision trips at, at Wycliffe as I've had the privilege of meeting people from around the world and, and often missionaries from faith. I can't tell you how often I quote Faith Church missionaries, um, but things that I've learned throughout all of these things that, that are a part of what I believe is a lifelong journey of saying yes and amen. And it doesn't mean that I've walked perfectly. I know I haven't. I've said no. Sometimes I tell the Holy Spirit to shut up and leave me alone. Um, by God's grace, I don't get struck down when I do that, though it would be righteous. Um, I've run screening, screaming from the room at times. I just, but, but as, the, as the Holy Spirit empowers me, as, as the Spirit lives within me, by God's grace, I often have said yes. And, and I'm not enough of my own, but I'm not alone in this thing. I'm, I'm not alone. There is God who is more than enough. And he has chosen uh, to, to empower us and to support us and to resource us through his church. And so I'm, I'm not alone in walking this walk. I've got a great team around me. I've got ministry partners. I've got people like the people at Faith Church who welcome me with open arms when I show up periodically. Um, people from Faith Church, when I moved to this house uh, here five years ago, and it was a horrible mess. The, the weeds were above the the lines of the window. I mean, I, I got pictures. The yard looked terrible. It had sat untouched for a few months. Um, and there was a van full of women from Faith who showed up with a lot of gardening equipment. And in just about two days, uh, they took it from scary jungle place to a place where all my neighbors were coming by and going, this, we're so glad you're here. And I go, you're glad my friends showed up is what you're glad. Uh, I mean, so, so I'm not alone in this thing. But I, but I want them to know that. I, there, there is a sense in which I know I'm not all that, and I really am confident that God has brought me into this thing and to do to this place. I, I'm, I'm learning again. Here I am, almost 60 years old. And I say, I'm still learning the lesson to say, God invited me into this thing. He wants me to bring me into this place, my kind of leadership. I'm not supposed to be somebody else. Um, I'm, I'm to be me. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this special Go Time podcast. I probably should have warned you ahead of time that the podcast was going to be a little bit longer than expected. But when it came time to editing my conversation with Ruth, I had a very difficult time deciding what to keep and what to cut. So I honestly kept the majority of the conversation. I hope that you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Ruth as much as I enjoyed having it. Our Global Outreach Conference kicks off in service on September 19th. For a full schedule of the week-long conference, visit faithchurchindy.com slash gotime. You'll also find other ways to get connected and support our missionaries. I'll leave you with our verse for this year's conference, John 4:36. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester triumphant. <laughs>